Ryan Olke, how you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good, all things considered. All things considered, yeah. <laughs> no, it's been a it's been a hell of a week. Um, and I want to say hi to everyone who's watching us right now. So um, we're doing something new this week. Uh, we are uh, streaming both to YouTube and to Facebook. So this is going live in I think it's uh, Integral Global and onto the Integral Life. I'm sorry, the Integral Life page. Um, so that's cool. Sort of trying to you know expand the influence as much as we can. Um, get as many people to uh, enjoy the show with us as we can and, you know, get some really good questions and comments and all that stuff. So that's a really cool thing that we're experimenting this week. Yeah, and uh, Ryan, man, here we are again for another episode of Inhabit. Yeah, we did our special episode last week. Some people tuned in for that. Yeah, that was Our funny. election day chat. Yeah. And what a week it's been since then. Yeah, it's been, uh, we've had some ups and downs, huh? Yeah, definitely. And uh, also in a real life, we did the uh, exhale, the day of exhale. Yeah. Uh, day of practice. Yeah, which Saturday. I figured we'd, we'd talk a, uh, about a little bit today because it was, um, it was it was a really beautiful event and we had a really great turnout. And it was, you know, it was 14 hours straight of practice. Hmm. That was all designed to help us move some of this fear, anxiety, confusion, paralysis. I mean, just sort of this you know, cluster F of emotions that have been building for us over the last four years, just all the mm-hmm. interpersonal static that's accumulated. And, and again, just the, the political anxieties, it, you know, it has to go somewhere. So we tried to create a space where together we could, you know, help each other sort of push this through and hopefully, you know, arrive at some sort of feeling of release and a genuine exhale after, you know, holding our collective breath for what just felt like yeah months years um so it was it was a really nice event we got some amazing feedback um yeah it was it was it was really good and then ryan of course you did a a a practice that evening that closed everything out and then we had a nice little chat with everyone afterwards and it was um, it was really beautiful and i was thinking maybe what we would do with this episode is just try to carry some of that energy through i mean we were talking about ideas for the theme of this show and it's you know it's inhabit your release or inhabit mm-hmm. your exhale yeah um and that's sort of i think what we want to you know continue to help people with again regardless of um where this election left you and regardless of how this landed for you and who you wanted to win i mean this is the time i think for us to release so much of that and for us to try to find a way back to each other and like i was saying to you before in the pre-show you know i think that the next major theme of the content I want to be doing anyway on integral life over the next, I don't know, six months to a year is mm-hmm. basically how do we start putting Humpty Dumpty back together again? You know what I mean? I mean, this, this nation, our culture has been so split and fragmented and polarized and balkanized for so long now. And I think that people have, you know, really forgotten how to treat each other like human beings and not just as sort of abstract political philosophies. Um, and that's sort of the work that I want to see happening. But as we were talking about in the pre-show, it's, you know, it's one thing to say that. And it's another thing to actually, you know, really kind of commit to that when you have all these sort of resistances and challenges and states and, you know, anxieties that continue to kind of surface in us. So (laughs) the more we can kind of use a space like this as a clearinghouse to get that shit out, to get that undigested meat out so that we can, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, sort of meet each other um, yeah. better. So that's that's kind of what I'm thinking for this show. What's on your mind? Yeah, no, I think it's really good. I had um, 
was starting to predict, I don't know, like in the last month that uh, if the election went the way that many of us uh, were hoping it would would be, and that, you know, just call it out, many of us were hoping for Biden to win, you know, and and myself and many of uh, our friends. And if that were to happen, I still, I thought as like, you know, it's not going to simply be a like, uh, ha ha, right. Now we're, you know, like just simply like a, a nice, easy release, but a release that will, that also can be like shaky. It was like, you know, like we had to shake it off. Like it's like almost, almost a startling release to like feel that we can drop a weight that we've been holding for so long. And just even this has been a weight uh, that's been, we've been holding for so long. And so I even noticed for me, like just to give an example, and this is not focused on the politics, but on the, it's, it's focused on my experience of like hearing about Biden putting in, you know, a coronavirus task force. And then me realizing that, oh, there's going to be different people in the administration, like different secretary of education. I haven't even, I gotten so used to that. That wasn't even on my mind hundred percent until I saw the news. And I was like, it's almost like I couldn't believe it for a minute. Like my body had to get used to the reality of that. Like maybe I'll turn on the TV and, and, you know, feel confident in the so-called expert that's there. And again, the point for me is that the a release, you know, like, like, uh, stop holding this tension. So for me, it's really necessary to drop that tension because it really eats away at us. You know, when we're carrying something, even if we feel like it's necessary, if we feel like, oh, it's going to be productive if I keep holding it together, keep the vigilance and never let the vigilance go, eventually it's counterproductive. You know, yeah. it's, um, it drains our energy. It exhausts us. And I think, I think actually already I've noticed a lot of people feeling very okay to let go. And like, and you know, in the, the, I'm not sure what you observed in the, the, on Saturday with the day long retreat, but I've already noticed how this sort of people, you know, one person who many of us know, Theo Horesh, uh, I consider him a friend. He's big time writer on politics. And I even saw in the number global, someone asked him about a nice post and he liked it. He's like, but I'm on break from this. Even Theo's on break y'all. So like, that was, <laughs> that was a surprising thing to me. It's like, there's something important, uh, you know, to like, to pause. It's not like a checking out, but like, how do we reset to then have energy to do what you're saying, uh, the focus of the next year. And I think you said some other things that in, to me in chat about that. Uh, was there a focus like on compassion or there's some heartfulness in like something you shared with me about what you thought about next year. And I can't remember how you phrased it. No, I don't know. Every, everything I say is heartful. What are you talking about? Yeah. Man? Right. 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 Well, I thought this was particularly heartful, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So in no. general, yeah, this release thing, I think is important. I think it's naturally already happening, but, um, oh yeah, here you go. Emphasizing, you said healing, empathy, and body connection. Yeah. That sounds quite lovely to me, um, for yeah. uh, focus. For, well, for I know, I noticed here. that one of my responses in this is actually, um, in a way to sort of, um, seek out some of my conservative friends and pull them a little bit closer. And that's, that's not just sort of this, you know, uh, it, it, I, again, I, I think that there's a lot of traps that we can fall in here. There's a lot of sort of um, opportunities for spiritual bypassing where we're not actually genuinely facing our sort of emotional responses in our shadows. And we're just trying to kind of skip ahead, <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, right. Oh, let's just get to love and light. But yeah. what I notice is, you know, because I'm, I'm remembering, I'm remembering that I'm remembering the way I felt four years ago when yeah. Trump won. Right. Yeah. And I'm remembering sort of just the, the turmoil that I, yeah. that I, that I felt. <clears throat> right. And, 
I'm remembering that, you know, 45% of this country is feeling that exact same way right now. Now, uh-huh. I'm happy with how these election results turned out. I think that this was the best possible result for, you know, evolution at large. I mean, I, I've made my feelings about Trump very, very well known, but yeah. I also make a space again, as I always try to do for people to A, disagree with me and B, for those disagreements to just not really matter as much as we think they do, or as, you know, or, or at least not hold as much sort of gravity as we're used to them holding mm-hmm. because our political views are such a small piece of ourselves. And there's so much more opportunity, I think, for us to, to connect and to unfold and to, you know, even get to the point where we can sort of poke fun at each other's political views and, uh, you know, yeah. and hold this together and hold all this complexity together. So I, I, I just notice that that's an impulse in me, but I also notice Ryan again, because I don't want a spiritual bypass that mm-hmm. it's one thing to release. Right. And especially yeah. if there's something really heavy that you've been holding on for a long time and you let it go and it feels good, especially initially when you let it go, but then you realize that, there's this vacuum <laughs> that's still left wherever that thing is, you know, wherever that yep. thing was that you just let go. And there's this sort of inrush of different currents that want to fill that, that vacuum sort mm. of in your own, in your own awareness. And sometimes mm. that is a feeling of like vindictiveness. Like I kind of just want to gloat a little bit. Mm-hmm. There's sort of a, a, a righteous kind of vindication that can get very seductive and turn mm-hmm. into narcissism really damn quick. Mm-hmm. There's a whole other set of anxieties that come online. You know, you and I were talking in the pre-show about some of the states of anxiety that I'm feeling like yeah. hearing Mike Pompeo just, right. you know, he just said like a half an hour ago, yes, there will be a peaceful transfer of power back to Donald Trump. And I'm just like, how dare you inject yeah. that into, yeah, right. you know, the political consciousness right now. And so it's like, you know, I want to be present to sort of these resistances and these challenges and these obstacles as they, as they come up, because it's clear I have a shit ton of shadow material that I've generated over the last four years, well, over my entire lifetime, but particularly over the last four years. And I want to start, you know, looking at it more closely and not allowing it to sort of um, dominate my interactions with with people who I genuinely, you know, genuinely care about. Yeah, totally. I think that's the opportunity now. And that's part of the release to me is like the release means that that can be more possible. Because I think actually, even though you're right, like the, you know, vindictiveness and righteousness can can start coming in now after a win um, like this uh, and a change that's been really long sought. Um but really, I think that energy has been held for so long. Bitterness has been held for so long that now it's a time to that. I think some people feel safe enough to let go of the bitterness, actually, to let go of some layer of it. So that's not such a dominant part of our experience and something else can can take its place. And, you know, for part of me, I, I just had the, the feeling of saying it's OK to feel safe and hopeful because I think like many of us didn't want to even let that feeling in because like we had to be so vigilant because it's in, you know, and I'm not saying completely safe, completely hopeful, but like to feel a modicum of safety and a modicum of, of hope right now is I think what a lot of people are feeling like me. It's like now in the whole pie of the experience, politically speaking, it's like, Oh, finally part of that pie for me is hope is a sense of possibility is a sense of healing is a sense of coming together. I really actually quite like 
that, you know, the focus of the Biden campaign was around like uh, healing, you know, and, and that aspect, because that's what it feels good. And just like what you're saying, putting Humpty Dumpty back together, you know, that, that sense. Um, and uh, yeah, and it's really interesting because we, you know, we have so much going on. We still are in the middle of a pandemic. We're still in the middle of a lot of political upheaval. And so it's hard to like fully like, yeah, we can't fully letting go. It doesn't seem like an option. But allowing something else to be part of our vigilance, part of the, the the reaction and resistance, I think that's pretty transformative for me. So I don't have to just be fucking pissed off and bitter and resentful. Like, I, I always just want to punch Mitch McConnell in the face. Like, I'm just saying that, like, every day. You ask me any time of day, wake me up in the middle of the night, hey, Ryan, you want to punch Mitch McConnell in the face? Yes. Like, always, I do. But now, alongside of that feeling... <laughs> I have like some safety, some sense of hope and positivity to, to balance that part of me out. <laughs> so, you know, I don't want to be an idealist here and be like, oh, you know, we're not going to have any bitterness. Like for me, like there's a difference between what I feel about towards Trump versus Trump supporters. And actually, I've seen like a lot of people in my, my network um, have been actually decent human beings, not like, not, not to like shove it in Trump supporters faces. It's more been like a fuck you Trump. That's been the reaction of those people, uh, of my friends. And that part, I don't feel so bad about because I'm like, that's like sort of like you are, you're accountable, you know, with, uh, for what you, what you do. But, um, so, you know, there's some of the, like, how do we balance letting ourselves have the reactions and the anger and the resistance and the vigilance, but also make sure that we now can invite in and mix in this movement towards hopefulness, towards healing, which doesn't feel like it can fully happen until this next year, um, politically speaking, but like we can start that now. We can start laying the foundation to be able to do something different, you know? And for me, that's like freeing up some energy, like just feeling in, feel in how much we've been holding and like how much have we let go of like even a few days and what is that like? I think it's, like I said earlier, I don't think it's just purely awesome and like purely a great feeling to let go of that. Partly there's a, there's a discomfort because it's so familiar. The That's bitterness right. and anger is so familiar that without that, it's like disorienting a little yeah, bit. Who, who, who am I without Who my... am I? Who am I without this like constant fear of like, what's he going to say tomorrow? What's going to happen tomorrow? You know? <sighs> right. So right. I'm just trying to, I, I throw all that things out there again and not as much to focus on the specific politics, but about how some of that makes some of us, you know, feel mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, kind of be real about it. Well, I will say this because I want to, you know, make sure again that my, my conservative friends feel like we are yeah. adequately steel manning their perspectives. Um, mm. You know, and I think that a lot of my conservative friends would just sort of say, you know, it's a little bit funny that after four years of Trump, which, you know, who was just absolutely hated by liberal media yep. and by, you know, sort of the left electorate, yeah. um, that now that Biden wins, it's just kind of funny that the left is reaching out and asking for unity and, and all that stuff. I mean, you made up all this stuff about Russia Gate and Trump um, is, is their accusation. Now, I yeah. personally think that, you know, bipartisan Senate <laughs> reports have proven that there was a little bit more to the Russia Trump story than a lot of conservatives, I think, acknowledge. But we can leave that aside for now. I do see this as an obstacle where a lot of people on the left are saying, OK, guys, it's time for us to unfold again. It's time for us to embrace and be one big happy family. And the conservatives are just like, fuck you. you you've called me deplorable and racist and Nazi and all this shit for four years. And now you want to reach out your hand. And you know what I mean? And you want me to take a step towards you. So there's, this is going to be one of the challenges is that there's this, there's this, you know, increasing tit for tat of resentment that has been building on both sides. 
And, you know, anyone who's ever been in any kind of relationship knows that that is absolutely unsustainable. And you need to have a process by which this resentment can express itself and kind of clear itself out. And to me, so much of this, Ryan, comes down to a topic that I'm thinking you and I are probably going to make, you know, sort of the theme of the show for next month. But so mm. much of this comes down to rebuilding trust yeah. with each other with media, with governing institutions. I mean, trust is what is in tatters right now. And that is what allows this, again, balkanization of shared reality. And then we throw things like Facebook algorithms into it that are only showing us the very, you know, most extreme expressions from, yeah. you know, the other side of, of the political aisle. And it just all builds and builds and builds and builds. And um, it gets volcanic at some point. Yeah. I think we're seeing some of that you know, sort of uh, explosiveness happening right now yeah. all around us. Yeah. So, you know, on this topic, just to further this out here a little bit, because when we were talking about, yeah, like I'd like to bring up like relationships, right? And like what it takes to build trust and to heal together. So one, I think it's really important to note that, you know, that like, I, I think about this a lot, that there is a we, like, you know, if we talk about like world-centric level of consciousness, and we're talking about a we in the United States, that includes everybody who voted, no matter who they voted for. There's a we that includes that. So if, if that's not, if, the, if that's missing, there's no there's no hope for, for healing in the country. It has to include that. And that's what something I believe that integral uh, oriented minded people can offer. Like without that, there's just not gonna be healing. They're just gonna continue to be divisive. And I think, you know, with, with uh, progressives and on the left, that's a thing that's been missing, you know, sometimes is that like the recognition that this has to be really included. And that takes... It's a radical sense of including, even if you're like, there's serious problems there. So I agree that there has to be something, an acceptance there. I do think that there is, it, so there has to be a genuine invitation for unity, a genuine, like, no, it's seriously meant. I don't, I don't think I would label this whole thing as being like a quite an equal relationship. So I, I, I balk at a little bit of the idea of absolute equality here. There's an equality in the sense of uni being unified and being part of a we, everybody's equally part of a we. Yep. But in terms of what has happened over the last four years, I haven't, I don't remember many times of hearing somebody on the left generally say like, I want to be unified, come to me and talk with me. I heard quite the opposite language. Mm. So the fact that anybody shows up and says genuinely, I want to heal, that's a good thing. So I, I'm sorry. I have to like go like because otherwise we can't. We're gonna we're gonna try to heal naively. So yes. like I don't I don't buy that because I think there's a lot of responsibility and there was a lot of genuine harm, like harm on on many levels that has to be accounted for responsibly. Yeah. You know, in order to 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 heal. So I don't think like two. It's like a couple going in the room and both of them did about the equal amount of shit to each other. Mm -mm, I don't feel that. But they both have to come in and they both have some things to own. Yes. I do feel that hundred percent and we have to get beyond. We just have to have some way of saying like, we got to come together somehow yeah. that has to happen. And if that doesn't happen on both sides, it's just going to continue. It's going to continue. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I, and I fully agree that the, the conversation is laden with all sorts of false equivalencies. I mean, that yeah. is false equivalency is actually one of the most effective propaganda techniques out there. Yeah. Because you're able to just assemble a column A of grievances and a column B of grievances, and it's all about how you spell it out, and they look like they weigh the same. But you know what? They really don't weigh the same. But the challenge is we have to be able to step beyond that, right? Because I think one of the main issues that we have is, um, look, I take one of my favorite things that I've heard Biden say, and I've heard him repeat several times now, and I find myself yeah. repeating, is that just because we're opponents doesn't mean we're enemies, 
That's the thing that, well, yeah. And I love that. I love that phrasing. I love that phrasing. Like guys, healthy antagonism is not only okay, it's invited. It's like what makes this process work in the first place. We need opponents. Like if I imagine a country that is like, you know, completely run by the Democratic Party and there are no conservatives, um, yeah. that sounds like a hellscape to me. I mean, shit's going to go real wrong real fast. So you always yeah. need this polarization. You always need at least the the space to 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 create a polarity and to balance and to harmonize a polarity. Yeah. So yeah. this is this is this is, you know, I think a really important point. And I think it's demonstrative of, you know, I've been talking a lot lately about how, you know, the role of the president of the United States of America. This is one of the very, very few jobs where your talk is almost as important as your walk. Right. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my conservative friends, they acknowledge, like, look, Obama, he was a an amazing orator. I mean, the guy gave, you know, some of the most Mm -hmm. just epic, just sweeping speeches. And my most conservative friends will, will acknowledge that they just downplay it. They don't think it's nearly as important as his actions. And they look to things like, you know, droning, you know, his drone campaign. And he looks at, uh, you know, um, the cages that Obama built on the border. And, you know, Mm -hmm. they look at these things and they say, well, the, the, the talk and the walk don't exactly line up. And I say, okay, fair enough, but we have to acknowledge that the talk is important. And when it comes to Trump, his talk has been just absolutely abhorrent. It's only made these problems worse. Trump has never held himself or his platform as it's okay to be opponents, but not enemies. I mean, I think that Trump has sort of defined his brand by making enemies of his political opponents. Yeah. Um, and I think that a, a good percentage of his base has, has followed him. And now one of the challenges, I think, is what do we do with that? So I think that when we're talking to our conservative friends, obviously we have to get beyond all these stereotypes and caricatures and like, no, I'm not going to talk to you like you're a fucking racist or a Nazi or, you know, no, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and I'm going to come at this in good faith. However, at the same time, there's a real challenge here. There was a study that came out recently. This was uh, reprinted in Forbes that said 57% of the Republican party believe at least to some extent in QAnon. And I see QAnon as a narrative that is so outside of, sh- of shared reality, right? It's, it's yeah. purely narrative based. There's, there's, um, there's sort of this illusion of evidence that's really just sort of a mirage. And it's, it's basically amber kind of, you know, myth making. Um, and a lot of people have subscribed to those beliefs. So my, you know, one of the challenges that we have here is how can we enfold with each other where either one person believes the other is a Nazi, racist, homophobe, whatever, or when the other person thinks that you are in a, you know, you're supporting a network of pedophilia that is, you know, like literally draining adrenochrome from babies so that you know old rich people can live longer i mean what how do we start crossing that kind of divide when we know that you can't reason people out of views that they didn't originally reason themselves into how do we get around that yeah totally here well you know and to frame this a little bit more for me like 
you know, even kind of a holarchically like some or something that's necessary, like as foundation is that sense of, of coming together, a we, um, a unity, there has to be some level of that. Now, I think both sides have to do that in different ways. For me, what I, I was thinking the other day was that like on the left, the left sort of sack like anybody who, in my opinion, okay, anybody who decided to sit out the the election, even though they saw Trump as negative because they didn't like Hillary or voted third party, you know, for idealistic reasons, there's going to be some sense of me of like sacrificing a base level of decency and dignity for quote higher level ideals because this candidate doesn't meet my higher level ideals. We gave way to a base level of decency and dignity that would be a we. And to me, that is possible now. It's like now it seems less of a problem. It's like I hear everywhere, like people talking enamorously about Biden be like, he's a decent human being. It's not talking about like, oh, he's going to do this change and that change and that change necessarily. Just like he's decent. And so like, that's a, uh, a lower level, but more foundational need that we have to have. So somehow for me, we all have to come back to decency and dignity with one another and everybody, I think majority of our country can do that. Mm. Okay. Now, but that's a base level thing, but higher is that responsibility where I don't see equivalence, you know, like I don't see anything anywhere near, you know, the equivalency of that. I think, um, I suspect actually a lot of people who voted for Trump psychologically might've been experiencing so much cognitive dissonance from the initial support of him, seeing the behavior that goes very much against so many values that a conservative person might hold, but it's so hard to, it's so hard for all of us to stop going down the train we're going sometimes, including the left, you know, being like, just like, okay, I got to back out. And once there's enough space, I feel like there might be more and more possibility for that decency and dignity across the board on both sides, you know? Um, And, uh, just to double click what you're saying, yep. Ryan. I, yep. I, I, no, I love that framing because that's that's again something I've I feel like I've been um, trying to come into fuller resonance with is yep. getting beneath people's views and instead contacting on the level of values because yeah. it's the values that are animating these views. So like when it comes to QAnon, guys, <laughs> I also disagree with pedophilia. I also acknowledge that there are elite rings of pedophiliacs out there. And I, th- I think what needs to happen, for example, is for liberal media to meet those values and say, yes, there is a massive problem with not only pedophilia, but sex trafficking in general, and let's pay more attention to it. And yes, there are you know, people in just like wild positions of power who are able to get away with this shit. Let's hold them accountable. So I think that you know, as long as the left completely pushes all of this into its own shadow, nothing to see here, guys, absolutely nothing to see here, then that allows all of this to sort of metastasize and for the very, very worst views to propagate out there. And then before you know it, you've completely lost touch with with the values underneath it. Like I can, for example, I can believe that we do have a serious problem with pedophilia networks in this world without thinking Hillary had anything to do with it in a pizza parlor basement somewhere. You know, that's an example of a broken view, but the value is something that like I can completely resonate with. And in fact, yeah, let's do a, you know, I personally think that every major media institution as a way to rebuild trust should be taking some of these claims seriously, but on the level of evidence, not on the level of narrative. Let's pursue these claims. Let's actually talk about, Jeffrey Epstein. Let's actually, you know, talk about, um, you know, these networks that we know are real. Let's talk about what's happening in the Catholic church. Let's, you know, let's really bring Mm. this into 
the daylight and look at it head on. So, so that it doesn't just get pushed into either one of these shadows, which I think is generating so much of this brokenness for us. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I mean, more than talking about this, I mean, like I, 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 I'm hopeful of a release towards a, a more foundational level of relating, or at least an in, a reintegration of, 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 a deeper level of trust of like, you know, when you check a box of like, what makes a great friend, you know, there's going to be some boxes that we have to check no matter what, but it doesn't mean like, Oh, it's going to be my best buddy, right. you know, but like, for example, some sense of decency, you know, uh, of, of, uh, you know, even that like a genuine sociocentric level of, of, of like that has to be checked, even though we talk about integral levels, you know, there, you, you still include all those levels, right? That's right. Like of somebody who's just not completely um, egocentric and, you know, it's like, okay, there's going to be a level. So can we make sure we're checking those boxes, at least at the base level that have been just blasted, destroyed over the recent years where we were, we're lacking that. And it's hard to build anything on that. And really, I meant the exit polls really show that, I think the challenge on the left is not again for me as equal responsibility nowhere nowhere near it. I just can't even justify like some sort of uh, equal responsibility, but necessary responsibility. Yes, there's necessary responsibility in there uh, about understanding of giving way to the ideals because the exit polls of both election 2016 and now just don't line up with so many left progressive ideals of, of explaining things away, which means that there needs to be some humility that happens in understanding people of willing to meet people and saying like, where are you coming from? And that means a conversation, like what you're saying, like talk to people and say, where are you coming from? Because they had like 30% Latino vote, 30% Asian American vote, 30% LGBTQ vote uh, voters uh, voted for Trump. You know, yep. this year that, that level, th those numbers increased and actually slightly white men decreased a tiny bit. Um, still, still the majority, you know, yep. uh, still the majority. And, and it's like, if you look at the exit polls and you ask, is racism a problem? Like 80, 90% of Trump voters say no, 80, 90% of left say, yeah, say yes. So there's a disconnect there big time. I don't want to make a, again, false equivalence, but there's enough there where it's just like, Man, if it was 5%, 10%, it's like, yeah. okay, whatever. But 30% is like, man, we got to, you can't just think only about identity. Uh, you have to include it because of that 80% of those voters who are like, what do you mean racism isn't a problem? You know, but we have to get, we have to dig a little deeper. And I think that's part of me, the humility of the last two elections is being like, okay, let's, let's, yeah. let's find a way because we have to connect. We have to understand. That's what I would say, emphasize, understand. We have to understand each other. Yep. Um, and yeah, and, and this is, yeah, no, I, I think all of that's a really good point. Um, you know, again, I feel the need to sort of differentiate between, you know, these political parties as social hold-ons versus the rest of the electorate. And my experience, I think that this is actually where, this is an example of where it's not a false equivalence. Because when I look at the social hold-ons, right, I see the GOP as being far more broken than Democratic Party. People yeah. watching me will disagree. That's fine. You could disagree. Yeah. This is from where I'm sitting. That's what I see. In terms of the electorate, yeah. I'm actually sort of, I mean, probably an equivalent amount of brokenness on, on both sides. I think that over the last four years, a lot of people on the left, a lot of my friends have fallen into the trap of illiberalism as a reaction and not a response to the Trump era. And I think that there has been this, this regression. And I think one of the things that we learned in this most recent election is that people are still very interested. Look at the Florida results, and we'll talk about this tomorrow. Yeah. People are still very interested in economic progressivism. They, 
voted to raise the minimum wage in Florida, but they didn't vote for Biden, right? They rejected social progressivism, which is where we are seeing so much of the illiberalism on the left. Now, I'm someone from where I'm sitting, this is something I repeat almost every show, where Mm -hmm. I want to see more progressivism in the lower right quadrant, and I want to see more conservatism in the lower left quadrant. And it seems like a lot of the electorate feel the same way. And I think that this is probably one reason why, for example, um, Biden won the popular vote by a pretty massive margin. And yet the Senate is going to a slim chance double runoff in Georgia. Right. I think there's a reason for that. I think there's a lot of people who said, I don't want Trump anymore. I want an alternative to Trump. But I also want a check against the illiberalism of the left. So I'm going to vote for Biden and I'm going to vote for Republican senators to keep that in check. And I think that that, you know, probably brought us to where we are today. And that is um, that is the shadow of the left that I'm hoping now that everything is said. Look, you can't do anything about that during an election season, because guess what, guys? You need those votes. Right. You need those votes. So there's part like there's like progressives have to play along with the moderates and the moderates have to play along with the progressives. But afterwards, it's like, okay, this is. You know, the, the, the job of the progressives is to keep the, the moderates moving forward. And the job of the moderates is to, well, moderate the progressives. And I think over the last few years, the progressives have, you know, proven themselves very difficult to moderate. And that's caused its own problems. Yeah. And totally agree with you there on this stuff. And I would say, though, that you, when you said brokenness on, on right and left, I would still argue brokenness on different levels of depth. I don't consider the brokenness to the broken, the, the degree of brokenness could be said of equivalent and to a lot of that I could say, but different levels. And that's super important because for me, uh, development is so key to me. Like when I look at those exit polls, for example, I'm like, I don't see how we solve this equation without some strong sense of development here um, with the accounting of that. Um, and so, yeah. And, and if I, after that point of saying brokenness on different levels, then I can, I feel like I can talk more comfortably about it. Like in what ways do those, those, that brokenness need to be healed. And I feel like my hope is that like over the last four years and maybe in the next upcoming months, there might be some soberness that happens just naturally, yeah. even just naturally that allows some of that to happen, you know, to where some of that brokenness is healing. Maybe there's a little bit more closer to, to reason. One other in, random kind of thought that was relevant. You mentioned moderates. I was thinking the other day around development, like, there's a sense of one definition of moderate means to be like somewhere in the middle of a compromise, compromise between one side and another side where both sides get a little bit of what they want, but not everything. That's one definition of a moderate. Um, but um, I also realize I, I would, I wonder if somebody who's, who's responding developmentally might be characterized as that because mm. they're taking care of each level of development a little bit, but nobody's going to get everything they want because there's going to be a limitation put on how far those those uh, efforts go, right? Because, and, and that might sound moderate, but it's not moderate because it's taking care of the de- developmental spiral. And I'm more interested in that. I'm not interested in the moderate in, the, in terms of compromise because I think that's beat. I think that doesn't exist anymore personally. Mm-hmm. I think we're, we're, there's, that exists, but like the divide is so big and that the only thing that's gonna help is that developmental spiral taking care of it. I feel like integral is actually super relevant finally. But yeah, these are just kind of like, my like they're they're perking up here um no i think that's a huge point ryan that integral is becoming super relevant here because i think that exact i 
look, when it comes to the Humpty Dumpty problem, I think that this is a problem that really only integral can sort of wrap its heart and mind around fully. Because if you're stuck within those first tier frames, you can't get out of the food fight. You just, no matter where you go, you're, yeah. you're, you're just going further into the food fight. And only by taking this sort of meta view where we can actually say, okay, you know what? I completely disagree with your views here, but goddamn, I love your values. Yep. You know what I mean? Where you can, yep. where we can remember, you know, just to sort of geek out for a second, the, the classic ladder climber view sort of metaphor of development where, you know, as we're climbing this ladder of development at each step, we have a particular view of the world that's enacted from wherever we happen to be through our cosmic address. As we continue to develop, that view is gone forever. You will never be able to have that same view again because you're now looking at the world from a different rung in the ladder. However, what you do keep with you the entire time are those previous rungs and those mm. are the values. Those are your yeah. value stack. And of course, each lower rung kind of changes a little bit as it gets situated into like a, a, a higher set of values and then on it goes. But the idea is that we're not coming from a single sort of little thin, you know, strip of the, of the value spectrum. We are embodying this entire stack. And as long as we are embodying that entire stack, that means you can meet people exactly where they are and you can dig beneath these, again, broken views because in a certain sense, all of our views are broken, period. Some are better than others, yes, but there's no such thing as a complete view, right? Yeah. Um, so th I think that this gives us the leverage that we need to start, you know, I, I've, I've said before, start using integral like a scalpel and not like a chainsaw. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. I'm with you. Yep. Yes. Yes. I'm uh, looking across. Uh, there were like five pages here of chats. Yeah. For um, some reason, I can't expand all the uh, all the uh, the Facebook chat. There's there's 18 comments in there, but I can only see a few from uh, Stephen. Um, and I'll address some of them. Stephen. I yeah. Saw one of I them. Mean... <laughs> one of them where you said you uh, you felt like we were talking about you <laughs> without huh? invoking your name. Uh, no, honestly, I wasn't talking about mm. you at all. And in fact, mm. if you think I was talking about you, that might be something to follow up on. But uh, in all honesty, no, I was not. I was not talking about you. Um, yeah. You guys sound like you're trying to tell everyone to breathe and hug it out. I mean, yeah, kind of. I mean, I don't know. I feel like a, like I, I'm not trying to uh, be offensive here to you on that comment. It's just like it, it's such a generalized comment that seems disproportionate to the amount of detail that we're discussing here that yeah. I'm almost like if, if, if everything we're saying doesn't indicate that this is like only a part of the equation, then I don't know what else I could say besides everything I've said. So that's partly why I like some of this. I'm like, you know, uh, hug it out. I'm not even sure what that means. Like, what, what do we mean by that? Is that a psychological clinical term to hug it out? Like, no, I mean, like, do I think compassion needs to be part of, of, of human life in general? Yes. And, and do I think it can be more part of, of our political sphere? Yes. Is it the only thing that's needed? No. Um, and matter of fact, earlier, I even said on my end, I, I own my anger and, and like, and like reactions. And I think there's a lot of validity in that. Um, I don't, I'm, and I also don't think that uh, we should sweep anything under the rug. I I've been, I think we've been pretty clear about that. There's yep. going to be a lot we have to reckon with, you know, so I don't know. 
Like I said, yes. we don't want to come from some thin little strata of our own value stack. Hug it out. Is that part of the value stack? Sure. Sure. It's part of the value stack. It, you yeah. know, that's that, that, that sort of sits right in that little green. Matter of fact, right honestly, there. like if I saw everybody in the Senate just hugging each other, you know, like uh, for today, I would be like, wow, okay. Now, if that's all I they do every day, lunch with each other, Ryan, if, I don't want them to hug. I just if, want them to have fucking lunch with each other. Yeah. Yeah. But, but if, if it was six months of, of, of like, oh, we're just hugging every day, then I'm going to start getting irritated. I'm like, okay, we need some done. But like one day of like some like genuine hugs, I'm not going to be too, too upset about that. Right. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully that answers your, your question, Stephen. We're trying to give a multi-value sort of response here and we're making space for all of these responses. And in fact, we're predicting chances are a lot of people who are watching your responses are going to go through some of these sort of resistance bands um as you sort of release yourself you're probably and really going all to experience some anger you're probably going to experience some resentment you're probably going to experience this this sort of desire to spiritually bypass and pretend everything is love and light and just skip you know ahead three levels to that yeah that's probably going to come up for you and all of that is okay as long as you know you're, we're bringing awareness to this and we have at the end of the day, our sort of ultimate goal being, yes, I want to be more compassionate. Yes, I want to heal these divides. Yes, I want to feel like this is a, you know, cohesive, coherent culture again, where, you know, we can talk to our own family members without yeah. screaming at each other. I mean, right. uh, yeah, that that would be a, a nice sort of turquoise, compassionate yeah, uh, empathetic not, goal of, of union. Um, but that's not that a in. that's not a, that's not the type of unity where it's like let's just pretend we don't have differences. No, nothing we're talking about at all. I yeah. think even indicates that in the slightest. But um, but even with all this, you know, we've talked about politics because that is so dominant right now. But really, again, as I said earlier, for me, it's like talking about that simply to point to ways in which we're all holding which we're constricted, which we're, we're feeling limited to be able to fully respond to what's going on. And with when we talk about release, that means we're starting to release constrictions, you know, to release ways in which we feel shut down. Now, with all that, I want to invite in an investigation. That's what I want to see. So all of us, anybody watching it, can we start to let go a little bit and take a look, take stock of what's going on in our own experience? I know we're talking a lot outwardly analyzing somewhat still the politics but again more important to me in this moment for this episode not the one that we're going to do tomorrow mm -hmm. and the one we did last week and the week before or the month before right now it's like start to shine light within ourselves and within each other and see what we see and so you know like we've already shared i think that's how we started this conversation with you you know you and i Corey, of saying like well here's how i've been feeling i felt some relief that's me personally. Mm -hmm. I also felt something strange and dis un uncomfortable, like where even though I was happy what's happening, I felt disoriented. I still feel angry too. I still feel bitterness, resentment. These are base level things, you know? And I started sharing like some of my wonderings that I also incorporate. Like when I look at the exit polls, I take that as part of myself. I don't, I have a question mark. I don't know, but I want to go investigate this. So I want to hear a lot of people, especially in this show, and this is a habit. Tell me what you're not certain of. Tell me what you don't know, but you're wondering about. Because in integral land, we talk so much with certainty. And I know that's part of the thing. I do that all the time here. I say, this is what I think is happening. But this is a habit, okay? So so tell me about what you don't know about, sincerely, not rhetorically, you know, um, but that you're you're investigating because of your good intentions to, to impact the world. 
if I can, for me, if I can sense within myself, you, everybody around us, that we have good intentions to make a positive impact on the world. And we're, we're looking into our experience in the mess of all this shit and using the integral model to do that thing. Wonderful. Mm. That's a release to me. Like I, when I, when I talk about this, I feel released. So I invite everybody, like anytime I say it, like I talk, like I'm, I feel like I'm certain about shit. I'm just talking. Like I feel confident in some things. I don't feel like totally like off, uh, you know, off base, but I'm always willing to question myself because this is complicated shit. <laughs> Being right. human. Being human. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Integral model right. makes me feel like it's a little less complicated because I can apply that model and make some sense out of it. But still, it's just mind boggling, you know? Yeah, you know, it's 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 funny, Ryan. I often feel like um, you know, Ken Wilber famously in all of his books, he has sort of a throw a throwaway line somewhere in there that says, Everything I'm about to tell you is a complete lie. You're right. He's sort of this like nice little absolute invocation that like none of these words, these are I'm just pointing to the moon here. Don't confuse us yep. for the moon. Yeah. I feel the need to do something similar whenever I'm sharing my own political views. I always have to premise this by saying, this is my view. The space that we're creating is bigger than my view. I'm going to let you know what my view is, but you know, you can disagree. And you, I always have to caveat these things because yeah. I don't want people to walk away thinking, oh, well, look at this, you know, smug integral asshole who thinks he's got it all yeah, figured right. out. I mean, yeah. I try to say every point, I think my view is better than most other views. Of course I do. It's my view, <laughs> right? Well, this is an integral approach to do that. Right. I, I try to bring enough humility to be like, guys, can you let me know where I'm wrong? Can you falsify this stuff for me? And, and by the way, I'll do the same for you. I'll try to falsify um, you know, whatever view it is that you're hanging on to that I don't, you know, that I think you should take a closer look at. And I think this is a service that we can, this is sort of part of the, the critical thinking, like let's meet each other in a space of trust and goodwill. Let's meet ourselves with a space of trust and goodwill. Right? Yeah. And then exert some critical thinking around each of these issues. So that if you remember that polarity map I shared a couple episodes ago, so that we don't lapse into being sort of permanently stuck in either cynicism yeah. or naivety. Yes. Well said, Corey. Well said. I think that's a very good summary. So trust, goodwill, critical thinking, not being stuck, you know, in cynicism, naivety, you know, checking out. That like to me, even though we have all these high ideas of integral, and I think like how you said about talking about this is like through an integral development, like it should be developed, should come online that like it's hard to nail things down. There's not like a rational 100% we can know something, you right. know, and we know that there's not complete relativism where we were like deconstruct everything, can't know anything. So we're going to talk with some confidence. We're going to talk with some knowing because it matters. We have to engage this, right? We have to engage um, with what's going on and we have to hold a little bit lightly because reality is a little fluid too, right? It's evolving and changing and that's the best we can do. But man, that trust and goodwill, when you said that, I'm just like, mm. and here again, it's, you know, going back to earlier about like, you know, hug it out. Um, kind of thing. When the body is deficient of a certain vitamin, it is not the most important vitamin, but at that moment it is. So if you don't have enough vitamin D, you need some vitamin D. And and, and, then, and then if we say, whoa, you think the human body is all about vitamin D? No, I just check my levels and it's low. So I'm going to take a vitamin D pill, you know? And so here, trust goodwill. I'm like, that's a vitamin. Like, yeah. like it's not the only thing, but man, we feel deficient in goodwill. Amen. And, and really that would kind of speak 10 years ago, what party might that have sounded more like that might've sounded more like a conservative party of like some values of like, you know, just these socialized values of like, let's come together, 
you know, patriotism, yep. things like that. It's just yep. like, you know, yep. Yeah. Well, really, really well said, brother. Um, Anya made a, a, a good comment, um, which kind of leads to something that we'll probably be talking about a little bit more tomorrow. But she says, to me, an example of what you're talking about is Biden imploring to wear masks that may resonate as a weak verb compared to brave Trump flaunting his not wearing it as a rebellion to perceived restriction. I think, look, I, I, I think you nailed something really important here, Anya, which is um, the importance of messaging. And this gets us back earlier when I was talking about, you know, in the office of, of the president, for example, your talk, it's, it's one of the only jobs where your talk is at almost as important as your walk, almost as important. Um, and I think this is a really good case because messaging is absolutely central to all of this. And I've been sort of going on these, these mini rants mm -hmm. that, um, you know, I, I personally think the left would have done so much better at the polls this year if they had even semi-competent messaging, like, like remotely competent messaging, instead of things like defund the police and pack the courts and autonomous zones and you know, sort of this hashtag activism of socially progressive wokeness, which turned a lot of people off because oftentimes that wokeness is in fact very illiberal. It's enacted in very, very deeply illiberal ways. And I personally think that if the, if the left had something like someone like a Frank Lutz, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. Who's, who's focus testing all of their messaging. Now, there are reasons why it's harder for the left to sort of congeal around, you know, a sort of single set of messages the way the right can. Um, there's all sorts of reasons. I mean, A, the Democratic yeah. Party tends to be, uh, you know, sort of it consists of uncomfortable coalitions, for example, a lot of different kind of people with different political philosophies who have to find a way to unfold with each other and they don't always agree. So that makes things really, really challenging. There's the fact that most of the messaging coming from the left sort of emerges organically from 18 to 24 year olds on college campuses and in protest movements. And then that catches traction and gets spread via social media and uh, pop culture. So it's more like an ambient way of spreading the message. Whereas the Republicans, a lot of the messaging comes up from, you know, 40 to 60 year olds and it gets focus tested and they have centralized media outlets to, you know, to deliver mm -hmm. the message. And it's yeah. a lot easier for those politicians to hold a line because they have more agreement on certain fundamental yeah, yeah. values. So yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons why this is the case, but it's still an area where the left needs to get I, much better because time and time again, progressives take themselves further away from their goals through shitty, shitty messaging. Yeah. Further away from the goals. I, I agree. And, and yeah. And, um, to clarify that, I think like some of the messaging is the cultural left and then that which is different than the Democratic Party, because like, for example, defund the police was like a cultural message. And it was one that was understandable in a certain way from the cultural left because of just the, and, you know, and from African-American population, I get why it comes up, but also in the end also know like it's probably not going to fly. And I'm not even sure that's actually what most people want <laughs> to completely restructure the police, you know, restructure and things like that. Yeah. So that there for me was like, yeah, missed opportunity, but you know, for example, as a good move, Biden using, was it, was it heal the soul of the nation? That's like mm -hmm. the, the, yeah, mm -hmm. that one, I, I loved it because soul has a sociocentric, you know, religious connotation there. It's simple. It's relatable. That was like more of a message of like, ah, I could see that appealing to somebody. It's just like get to the soul, you know? It's a lot and better than the, I'm with her. 
Yeah, totally. And, you know, in the 2016, for sure, like messaging, you know, like the notorious comment of de calling people deplorable, it's like, who would have thunk that that would have not brought people <laughs> into yep. your, so, and I know like one comment here from, you know, Stephen again, there was like, uh, alt-right distorts the media, alt-right, yeah, but the, the, the right does, as Corey said, regardless of whether it's, it has uh, backing in terms of results, the messaging around the right is clear. And that's been said multiple times by supporters of, of, of Trump that being like, he says the things I want to hear yep. much. What's that? Regardless of whether it's, whether it's follow through on it. So it's not saying that like, Oh, the left should do what the right's doing, like make bullshit messaging and then not follow through on it in a lot of ways. Although they have, because you can say like three, three, <laughs> three Supreme court justices, 200 federal judges appointed, you know, like there was some delivery on it, you know? Yep. But uh, yeah, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, of course the alt-right twists the message, just like far left media twists. I mean, yeah, the, the point is the alt-right is always going to have a caricature for the left. And it's in the left's best interest to stop walking face first into that caricature again and again and again and again. Uh, Remember yeah, that that yeah. classic Simpsons sideshow, Bob just like steps on a rake and then he takes a few minutes, steps on another rake and he just keeps... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. In the face with a rake. I mean, I feel like so often this is look what happened with defund the police. So before that hashtag emerged, there was real political will being generated on the left and on the right mm. to transform police departments across the country. We were getting legitimate buy in on that problem. And then it metastasized. It became defund the police, which was now all the left say, no, it doesn't literally mean defund the police. It yeah. But when you say that word, officer. yeah. When you say that, that's yeah. the point. That's the, the, the point. You words gave it, have meaning. Yeah. yeah. Right. You gave it the worst yeah. positive that made it easy for that to get, to just fall right into the characters. Oh, this is the, the anarchy party. They don't want law and order. Well, no, I mean, this is, this is, this is ridiculous. Yeah. We want a better yeah. police department. We want a more accountable, we want to transform yeah. Transform, yeah, like because so many people, including me, I'd be very happy for a radically transformed police department. I'm mean, like not saying like, oh, let's only subtly change it. It's the messaging about how that's going to happen that really has an impact. And and I think that earlier, you know, we're talking about like having problems at higher levels. I think like the left has problems at higher levels of of being like resistance to acknowledging that developmental hierarchy. Sometime of being like. I know you just want to say that, and you don't want to have to account for it, but that's the rake that keeps hitting, keep hitting us in the face. It's like you're gonna to have to be skillful through the spiral, you know. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't have an answer to that. So that's something I'm like, I just feel like I feel more certain that that's relevant, but I don't have an answer of like what would good messaging look like integrally, you know, politically to solve some of the things. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, but. I feel I get in agreement with you. You know, like sometimes the messaging is a missed opportunity. But we'll see. Maybe it's getting. Maybe it'll. Maybe it'll get there a little bit at a time here. Uh, well, I think removing Trump from the equation is because um, I mean, no, no matter, no matter. I, I don't care what your political philosophy is. You can be of the left or you can be of the right. I, I'm hoping we can all agree Trump is an unusual president. Yeah, and there's no I'm doubt one of a kind. He's, feels he's, like <laughs> yeah, he's truly exceptional in that sense, <laughs> in, in, in the real sense good. of the word. I mean, he is, yep. he's, he's a different kind of, of president that provokes a different kind of reaction on the left and on the right. And again, I've repeated this frame many, many times. I see MAGA 
and woke as being sort of two unintegrated poles of this of of the of the main polarity of left and right. And my hope is by getting rid of this lightning rod of a personality out of the center of our politics, yes. some of that will start to subside. I, I think that's true. Quite so extreme. That's what I was saying earlier too. I think just in say six months, you know, that somehow just partly naturally, there could be a different environment. Again, if we're talking about vitamins in the body, like if you're sitting in like around a bunch of heat lamps, it's going to change the composition and you know, what's going on in the body. If you take the heat lamps away, maybe still have some problems, but it's going to change the environment. So I'm, I'm, that's where I have a little bit of hope of like saying, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't have the full answers for it at all, but I'm hopeful that maybe there'll be better causes and conditions Right. for us to figure out some of these problems where it's felt really impossible, uh, you know, in recent, yep. recent four years, you know, Virginia asks, uh, yeah. how to include lower levels and raise everyone up. So those are two questions, Virginia. Those are two questions. So the first is how do we include lower levels, which I think is something we need to do. And the second is how do we raise everyone up, which I don't think we need to do. Okay. So I, I, I let's maybe kind of break that down a little bit. So I personally wish our politics would return to a style of enfoldment that previously existed, where basically the main strategy was, I'm going to try to get more votes in the next cycle by solving problems for my opponents, right? So the left would win more votes if they solve problems for people among the right you know what I mean? Mm. That would be ideal and vice versa. The right should be solving problems that are often experienced by people on the left. This is kind of classically how, you know, it was a strategy. It was a vote building strategy. But then ever since sort of the late nineties or so, when everything really started to polarize that shifted where each party is only looking out for the best interests of its own base. And when it comes to the left, that has resulted in, I think this is a very, very important criticism of the left they have largely left working class people behind. They have largely favored sort of the cosmopolitan views of, you know, urban elites. I think so much of those caricatures have an important partial truth to it. The, the left has shifted away from being the party of labor. And guess what? This vacuum created a space for right-wing populism to come. Now, I don't think that right-wing populism is authentically looking at the best interests of the working class. I think that populism is actually bought and sold by sort of this top-down plutocratic pressure. It's, it's a corporate-sponsored populism in a certain kind of sense. However, we have to track the fact that, you know, the reason this is so successful, the reason why this populism exploded in this country is because working class people didn't feel like anyone was looking out for them. Yeah. And here comes Trump, who at least pays lip service to them. Mm. Right. And that creates a sense of loyalty that creates a sense of, oh, my God, I'm being seen right now. I've been sort of left out of the neoliberal American dream for decades. And maybe this is sort of our way out. And maybe they felt some buyer's remorse afterwards. And maybe that created some cognitive sort of dissonance that, you know, created, uh, who, who knows? Mm. But yeah. I think there's a legitimate reason that Trump got more votes in 2020 than he got in 2016. He got more votes. More people turned out for Trump, even after everything, than in 2016. And this is something the left needs to take seriously, right? 
seriously. And not just say, oh, that's because they're all brainwashed or they're all racist or they're all, you know, whatever. No, no, they're not. They're, some of them are, sure, right? Well, that's that, that's that part of being, treating people with goodwill initially, you know, and I still think that needs to be reciprocated. So for example, if you treat somebody with goodwill and then they break that goodwill repeatedly, like say an individual, then that changes the dynamics. But there are a lot of people where like, if you, I think, you know, support Trump, that support with goodwill and like, actually like, let me hear what's going on there and see how I can help solve that problem. Um, Even if that person doesn't get, you know, quote the spiral and the other bigger problems then okay. But I, I agree that was a big miss in 2016 for sure. I still think it's happening, especially with working class. I think also I want to say like, you know, I was saying earlier, like, you know, I, oh, I feel personally that I'm sniffing out something, but I have no idea what it looks like. I actually think we're in a time that's unprecedented that none of us know, none of us has seen what is going to unfold. This is going to be something new that's unfolding. Like we don't know what uh, integral politics really look like, right? Like how many candidates are out there that we go, oh, we can go back and say, oh, we know what a Amber leader is. We know that we've been there and done that many times. We know it, but we don't know this stuff that well. And none of us as an individual, we're going to not be able to describe that. So we're figuring it out. Like, what does a good integral messaging look like from, from a candidate, from a party? I don't really know. I'm excited to find out. And I think we might find out actually, I'm getting more excited that maybe we'll see it in the next, I don't know if it's a year or 10 years, but I feel it might come online. So I feel like we're figuring this all out together. Like, how do you speak to everybody in a way that's doing some of what you're saying, Corey? I have some good starting points, but I really don't know. Yeah. I, even, I, I feel more not knowing now, like even talking about like, oh, who would have, would, is Biden, was Biden the best person to run right now? Would Bernie have been better? Would Pete Buttigieg have been better? I honestly say, I don't know. I, I'm just happy Biden won. But I can't, at this point, looking at the polls again, I can't really say 100%. I don't know. Yep. It's a really mi- interesting, difficult time where even all the numbers, this is why when you see like 70, 74 million votes and a margin of what, three points, you know, uh, in percent in population, uh, the populate vote, it's not that convincing to say anybody really knows what the hell is going on 100%. You know, yeah. that's why I'm saying we're trying to figure out. So there's some humility here that for me of uh, being like, we got to figure it out. And it's a really creative time where we might actually discover some really interesting mm-hmm. things in real time, not just theoretical anymore. Right. But hell if I know sometimes. This is where partly I'm sitting down, I'm like, hmm, I don't know. Right. We can say well, what's I, not working. I think that's what that some of those things we can say for certain what's not working. Right. But what would be the best solution? Huh. Yeah. Well, and again, it kind of brings me back to the talk and walk thing. It would be a lot easier for us to identify integral talk than it is integral walk, because I think we're yeah. still sort of defining what an integral walk actually looks like, especially in the context of something as massively complex as geopolitics, where there's no black and white realities, there's only shades of gray. There are a such thing to invoke Rumsfeld here as known unknowns and unknown yeah. unknowns, and you know, yeah. all of this sort of Faustian bargains everywhere. Like it's a really complex space. And sometimes even you could be just like center of gravity fucking full-on turquoise and you're still going to make decisions that a lot of people are going to invoke as being you know red amber orange green or whatever because there's a sort of you know you're using a scalpel not a chainsaw which requires a lot of very very deliberately partial kind of decisions so i think that it's hard to find examples of integral walk when it comes to politics but when it comes to integral talk 
you know, I think we can note certain things like, you know, when I watch speeches, I, I look out for sort of the semiotics of development, right? Mm -hmm. So I remember in uh, 2008, way long time ago, when it yeah. was uh, McCain versus Obama, mm -hmm. uh, my buddy Clint Foos and I did a project where we watched both speeches and we did mm -hmm. sort of a, you know, um, we, we kind of pushed it through an integral lens where we were looking for signifiers that kind of cor corresponded to different altitudes. And we noticed that Obama was squeezing in a lot of amber, orange, and green in, into his speeches, sort of, yeah. a, you know, sort of coherent package. And McCain, not very surprisingly, was mostly using amber language with a, you know, with, with a minority of sort of orange language poking through. This was just our analysis from where we were sitting, but we were yeah. doing our best to check out, you know, check each other's work and all that. Um, this time when I was watching Biden's speech, I noticed a lot of very strong amber. I noticed a lot of, you know, he quoted the Bible. He's, I mean, his, his quotes are great. He's kind of trying to appeal to this common dignity and this, this shared value of, you know, sort of our, our national pride and all that yeah. healthy Amber. I had noticed a lot of orange. Um, there's a lot of talk about, you know, equal opportunities and, and all that. I didn't get very much green from him, which I take as a solace right now. I think that if yeah, you know, the, we live in a time where green contextually, is freaking out yeah. and amber is freaking out, I'll take exit orange any day. Yes, right. But it's, there wasn't a whole lot of equity talk and things like that, which would be sort of the hallmark of, of, of green. So to me, his his speech itself, which I know is trying, like I know that yeah. you write things to audience, but that's that's smart. You want to write to your demographics yeah. and an integral you know, someone who's who's crafting a message along integral lines is going to be is going to be much more capable when it comes to communicating to these different. Yeah, topics. yeah, no, I, I it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it definitely feels like very situational, like you know, uh, triage a little bit, like right now. And and so for you know Biden's speech, it's felt more like appropriate for triage and getting things going. Although it sounds like for the his new website and the main issues he's focusing focusing on is um invokes a lot more green but i think the difference between obama and now is that the is that green is much more developed in our culture it's like a more fuller experience of it in many good ways to me and therefore also the shadows are coming out more so i think for me the skillfulness of doing that now would be a much harder challenge than when obama was around but again i don't know maybe maybe he would be able to do that but i agree that something like that i think it's totally possible and i think messaging you're right is the first thing that can happen pete Buttigieg did at first strike me when i first heard started hearing him talk initially he sounded like somebody who could navigate that and that was again scratching the surface it was brand new and i'm not i don't know how he would perform himself in action but um i think regardless of whoever it is because we can all disagree about in, in different our analysis of people, but um, that maybe that will come online. Maybe we'll start at least seeing full-blown integral messaging come up because I don't see how we get around it. I don't I don't know. I, I think it's impossible. I don't think we go forward without that. Or, or we just keep doing this for a while, like barely, like, you know, small percentage point elections. I continue to think, Ryan, I continue to think that if integral emerges as a real political force, it's not coming from the left. I, I don't think it is. Um, mm. And the reason for that being is, as, as you just pointed out, green is sort of finding its voice in a, in a really big way. And often, you know, I'd say often an irresponsible way, but either way, a mix, it's a mix of both Man. and it's finding its voice right now. And the democratic party, because the green altitude is so new, you know, sort of morphogenetically, it's so new that it's still finding its legs that the left is going to be beholden to green for a while. Whereas I think that it's possible. I've, maybe unlikely right now, but it's possible that the GOP 
will go through the process after Trump that I thought it was going to go through after Trump, after Bush and Cheney, where just guys, this brand is so completely destroyed. Now we'll see if it's destroyed was, you know, cause Trumpism is clearly still at a, at a peak right now, but assuming that fever gets broken and, and the GOP's legitimacy gets damaged in the process because of all this, they're going to have no choice. They're going to have no choice because they're demographically, they're, playing a losing game because as long as they continue to try to appeal. Now we know that Damn. minority votes ticked up for Trump this time, but I don't Damn. think that's a pattern. I think that might be just sort of because of who Trump is. Um, if the GOP continues to court predominantly white voters, well, that's a losing demographic. We know that, you know, over the next 20, 30 years, that demographic is, is consistently shrinking. Damn. So if they want to be able to sort of, um, continue on their platforms of individualism and free markets and, you know, all of that, they're going to have to find another way to translate those values to multiple altitudes. And I think that's, yeah. that, that's an evolutionary sort of, it's going to force you in a certain way to find at least integral, you know, people who can help you with that messaging and then maybe yeah. already grow up. But that's, that's interesting. 12 yeah. Well, it seems like, I think either way for me, it feels like there's a pressure cooker where like, the equation isn't resolving itself. Like the, I just don't see like the, how the Republicans are continuing that, or or how the Democrats have uh, continued that this equation will look any differently than it has in in recent years. It's always gonna, it's going to be continue being somewhat that close. And so, really, the question for, for me is like, who's going to jump to the to to resolve the equation, which means transforming. So it's going to require a transformation of somebody. I still tend to think it's. I would still lean towards Democrats or, or progressives doing it because they're much closer. Their center of gravity is much closer to it, but it may be right. If, if the Republican party collapses enough, that party then might bring in different people who are, who are already close to that. But I don't know. That's, it's so hard for me to imagine that because of how much reconfiguration would have to happen. But I've seen it. I've seen it a little bit in reactions recently to the exit polls where I think one of the signs for me of a developmental shift is when the, like I said, the equations just don't work out and we're left with no other explanation. Like our operating system can't explain things anymore. We keep trying to run the same programs and it doesn't work out and we're just like left in limbo. And so I've saw that a little bit happening where it's just like with some of my friends on the, on the left, you know, that the same programs aren't, aren't, aren't working anymore, which means maybe, maybe, We'll we'll evolve into that yeah. more integral response, but I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm happy right now with triage. I'm happy with triage again. I'm happy with the the idea of some space to like really um, uh, have actual creative space to to figure this out a little bit more. It doesn't feel like we've had creative space to figure it out. It was just more like how do we survive whatever's going on right now. Well, and you know, at the end of the day, I think ultimately we're trapped into a certain structure. As long as we continue to have first past the post voting in the majority of our states, we are yeah. perpetually locked into a two-party system with all of these compromises and all of the, these extremes. That's It's not a matter of choice or political will or just making a different decision on, on election day. It's literally the shape of things because of the processes we have placed in the lower right quadrant, which force a two-party system into existence yeah. so it's not a matter of like oh we just need to make room for a third party no that doesn't happen that's not how it works every once in a while in american history yes one of the major parties crashes and burns last time we saw this was in like the 1800s 
it'll crash and burn and reconstitute itself. Yes, that does it, but it's still within the frame of a two-party system. And now there is so much plutocratic pressure being exerted from Mm. the top down. It makes that sort of spontaneous regeneration of an entire party that Mm. much more unlikely because guess what guys, whether you like it or not, 40% of this country belongs in a different media universe than you do. Right. Mm. I don't care which side you're on. That's still true. The liberals have their own media. The conservatives have their own media. It's permanently locked into two party polarization. And the only way out of that is to enact ranked choice voting in all 50 states. Get rid of the spoiler effect. Get rid of this necessary, uncomfortable coalitions and turn this into a more parliamentary representative uh, representative democracy. That makes a lot of sense. And there's a good actually Corey, you you're like you got your terminology down with the the different voting systems and i found a good video that is just more of a statistical modeling youtube channel mm-hmm. that isn't really you know uh politically driven per se and i will try to find it but it's so great and they do a great job visualizing with these little like i don't know sim like bubbly characters and running so you can understand statistically how it works out and after cuz i didn't really fully understand like how this all plays out um but uh i if I find it, I'll post it uh, maybe on YouTube or wherever, but I recommend people go out and just take a look, just get informed of being like, how do these tend to statistically work out? Because they're actually, each model has a downside, but it starts becoming clear that maybe that the, just the simple party voting that we are the mm, uh, first past the post ha- is the one that has the least advantages yep. that we do. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Virginia wanted me to follow up on, on the second half of her question. I realized I, I never got to it. Uh, she says, can you finish discussing why you wouldn't aim to raise everyone up? Is there a big, dark, unowned shadow there? Well, I, I, you know, I think that the shadow here is actually this expectation that people need to uh, sort of make it or achieve a particular level of development. I think that the way development works is we don't try, you know, I'm not interested in trying to create a world where like, of people are integral. A, that's impossible. That's not how development works, right? People grow and develop according to the needs of their environment, right? And if you live in an environment where, you know, you live in rural America, for example, maybe you live on a farm, you live in a small town community, and this, this is your life, then the life conditions that are pressing themselves down on you oftentimes require an amber center. So Amber is completely appropriate. It is a fine station of development for you to, you can spend your entire life at Amber. There's nothing wrong. Amber is beautiful, especially when it's healthy. Amber is beautiful. Orange is beautiful. Green is beautiful, right? Now, what we want to do, the, I think the integral ideal is not to transform people. It's simply to help people be as healthy as they can be wherever they are right now so that they can naturally organically grow into higher stages. If that's, you know, again, if that's appropriate for sort of the life conditions that they're facing, this is why oftentimes, you know, it's sort of the classic story of if you take a kid from a small town and you drop them into a big city in college, oftentimes that growth in that development is accelerated because They're dealing with different life conditions. They now need to reconcile all sorts of perspectives and points of views that they never had to reconcile before. Now they do, and that forces more complexity of thinking, and that forces a stage shift. That's cool. It's great when that happens, but that doesn't need to be 
our ultimate goal to like transform everybody. We well, just want people to be healthy wherever they are. This is really great, Corey. I'm glad you brought that up. And I think it was well said that one, even I, I taught uh, to our integral Dharma training group over Buddhist Geeks last week on growing up. And really there's not a lot of explicit practices even for growing up. There's not that many compared to waking up and cleaning up. Waking up and cleaning up have just thousands of practices, but growing up does not. There are there are some, but they're not. And that's the reason is, is because it, uh, as Ken says, because we can't see the structures of our consciousness. You know, we're, we're sort of having to stumble our way into them. And so, even to say like, you, there's no there's no direct lever, really, to even make that happen. So the process itself is something that organically happens. And it seems more than anything for me is it's causes and conditions, just like a seed that planted in the ground has the right causes and conditions, it will mature. And so education for me is something I've long thought about because I used to be in residence life. I used to be first a resident advisor. And then I later I was a professional hall director. And what I saw was the same thing because we did a lot of educational programming on the uh, uh, lower left and lower right stuff, especially lower left that didn't happen in the classrooms, cultural education. And when people had to live together in residence halls from towns, from cities all around the state, small and big, shit happened. Mm -hmm. People, I, every, almost everybody I saw generally evolved somewhat because they had to, they couldn't reconcile differences as much. And that means that if that's true, that education, and you look at the, the polls, why did the polls in 2016 not work? Because they underestimated people without a college education, right. which means to say that college educated folks tend to vote to Democrat. And if we say that that's associated with a higher evolution of consciousness as of right now, you know, well then you should be very in support of education in rural areas and everywhere. And that's the breakdown. If we don't, if we don't want to support rural communities and uh, working class and that, you know what I mean? So it's mm -hmm. like, we have to support education, but it sounds backwards because it's like, oh, we don't want to invest in these people who are deplorable, right? Come on, see how backwards it goes. Yep. And that's my experience. Like, you know, bring a bunch of people from small towns where there's just nothing but corn, you know, and they never seen a person in a different color. You bring them into a school where they have to reconcile with that. Yep. Not always. They don't always leave uh, more evolved, but my, that was my direct experience as a hall director. Yep. Yeah. Or one of the other things that Steven says is uh, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but an integral majority is inevitable. Now is when you should be thinking 22nd century, Corey. Um, it's funny because I'm a, a major Star Trek fan and I'm constantly thinking in terms of like 24th century politics and sort of what are the, the various utopias that I hope to, you know, make it to eventually as a society. And I, it's, it's fun for us to have that conversation. And in fact, I think a lot of integralists have sort of, they come into these conversations with their own sort of fully formed political maps that, you know, is a fully abstracted. They have a manifesto for it. And it's like, we need to grow into <laughs> uh, this. And I'm like, yeah, it yeah. would be great if we could grow into that. But like, we also have to meet reality where it is right now. And I think there's two ways to think about what is an integral politics. One of them is a two to two integral politics, which is here is an integral party that is, you know, sort of consists of people who are on average integral thinkers, integral doers, et cetera. Um, that's one way to think about it. That's probably a pretty far way off, guys. It's probably a, a little bit, you know, a ways off. Um, but then there's a two to one integral, right? A two to one integral politics is one where you're not leading with development or quadrants or levels. All of that stuff sort of go, it recedes, it recedes. And this becomes 
the scalpel party. This becomes the, 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 the people who are choosing not to just hang out in this integral treehouse in the, in the clouds, but to actually come down into the real world and meet people where they are, help make them more healthy, help close these gaps, help, you know, sort of uh, do whatever we can to sort of uh, halt this polarization that's pulling people away from each other and just pointing to new methodologies of enfoldment that can hopefully get us again, not to agree, but to simply realign. That's all we need is a realignment, right? Mm. I think that this, this represents a two to one integral politics that's gonna come way before these sort of two to two visions. You know, I constantly have a problem with, I'm a very idealistic person mm. and I struggled for years with sort of the paralysis that my own idealism brought with it. It was sort of this attitude of like, well, here's where I wanna go, but I refuse to get in the car until we get there, which mm. is so self-defeating, right? Mm. So it's sort of like, again, yes. we, have, we have this long <laughs> view of this is where we want to drive the bus, right? And I know I'm not gonna be able to drive it there myself. We're not gonna get there in my lifetime. But like in the meantime, like, like let's go this way and then let's go that like, you'd make a bunch of deliberately partial decisions that hopefully bring you closer to your goals, not farther away. So this yes. to me is, is, you know, how do we take those ideals, but then pragmatize them? You know what I mean? Yeah. Bring them into our hands and our muscles and our, and, our, and our words and how we interact with each other so that we can, start gently pushing that pendulum in a better direction. Yeah, and really to do all that, like get in the car and get in the real world, we have to let go of attachment to our maps in the first place, this is my experience, because the maps are helpful, incredibly helpful for orienting and understanding. That should be the goal is like, how can this help me better understand in a compassionate way, in a wise way, what's going on so that I can respond. But we're in the midst of responding. You can't be like, you can't hold the map and drive. Okay. Like, like, sorry. And you can't, I know you can flash it on the screen. Maybe some fancy new car that has the map on the screen, but it's just like, no, like you're driving. And um, I just had memories of a uh, map quest. Remember when we had to print out. I do. I do. It's way back in the, uh, yeah. In the back of my mind. I'm just like, Whoa, I remember printing that out. Um, but yeah, because, and the other thing is, is that like maps are always going to be partial. They they can't be like fully the fully our reality. You know what I mean? But uh, good maps are going to be generally useful most of the time in helping us understand things, but only especially those territories, which we've covered a bunch. Like we talked earlier, if we've seen, you know, however many sociocentric level presidents, we know that territory well, but we're the territory that's fresh and new. We got to hold some humility there of being like, we're figuring out as we go. So anytime anybody hasn't says with strong, uh, overly strong confidence or arrogance i know the map and i know where it's going it's like yeah like no sorry like get in the real world now i have to just say is like throw you into like a real situation like whether it's being a parent whether it's getting into the community like and doing some work hands-on leading a team like you'll find how quickly that kind of arrogance will just backfire and it's not throw the maps out because that's wrong too to me it's like Oh, well, because if they're limited, throw them out. No, then, then you're wandering in the dark, you know, Right. but have to maintain some humility. No, that's, a, is... that's such a huge point. No, totally. Cause you know, it's like integral knowledge is memorizing a map and it's, you know, it's, it's a tough map to memorize, but it can be done. You can memorize that. You can have a purely mental relationship with that, but integral wisdom comes with being able to identify actual landmarks in the territory when you see them. Yep. And that requires experience that requires humility that, re you know, I often say like, to a lot of my, um, you know, integral friends who are very, very cognitive and, you know, have a very sort of mental, even sometimes imaginal enactment yeah. of material. It's like, 
I can't wait to talk to you when you've like had a family and like you've buried a pet. You know what I mean? It's just like yeah. these, these sort of normal human tragedies and mm -hmm. celebrations and like all of this informs not just how we see the world, but actually how we use these maps and how we use them to show up and where we decide to go and how you know, the, where we place our attention and it's the why the life is the why the maps are are, are helpful yeah. they're 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 helpful extra things but yeah. and then that reality you know like that there are so many situations we can all be involved in but that's why i say pay attention to of like something happening in the world and it's funny because like this week i'm going to be talking about showing up over in integral dharma and yes. um you know that's going to part of my, my advice is like get involved in something because it will make you show up so like you know, whatever it is, like some, if, if it's in, if you're working, you know, that's going to require you to show up. It's going to engage you to say like, what do I need to be responsive here? And I, and my joke will be like anybody who's a parent, like that you got showing up like to the max, like, right. You know, it's like, there's, there's no choice to be like, how, how can I go practice showing up? It's like, nope, that is happening every day. So find some kind of similar situation that makes you be engaged. So the more that we're removing ourselves from situations of having to be in touch with what's happening in the in the world directly, connect then yeah. then we risk more of, of getting attached to ideals of 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 the of 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 our ideals of the maps of how we think things are versus like engaging. And really like that someone said integral bodhisattva, you know, um, like that to me, part of it is like really wanting to help all beings. Yes. Bodhisattva is helping all beings. So like if there's an attack if it's antagonistic and again, trust me, I have experienced plenty of antagonistic feelings and of resentment and, and, and anger and hatred towards some people sometimes. Okay. Um, but like when I engage the maps and say like, how do I do this? There should be some feeling in the gut and heart that um, is. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I need to be required to, to, to show up, you know, and yeah. Yeah, totally. 100%. Uh, yeah. Virginia says, uh, LOL, parenting is relentless growth. Seriously. And also, I mean, I, when, when I had my daughter, I was like, man, you know, I've been talking for years about, you know, sort of map and territory. Here is map becoming territory. It's like everything I've been studying for 20 years is now alive and in front of me. Here is the territory. Here is my, you know, newborn daughter. And she has these states and these developmental fulcrums. And I can... <laughs> I can see all these things that I've thought about for years actually playing themselves out in front of me. And my God, is it gorgeous. And thank God that I've been studying this for so long so that I can understand her more and step into her perspective. And you know what I mean? It's yeah. Being, being a parent, I think is the ultimate, uh, the ultimate yeah. experience of Matt becoming territory for sure. Yeah. Uh, mm, oh, Jeff, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I was, I partly lost my my train of uh, of thought there, but well, you're um, stepdad now, so you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, totally. I I do have a, a a taste of that for sure, knowing that, and and I'm grateful. And and I always remember, you know, what I'm add on there that there are so many opportunities in the world, uh, even even if a person's not parent or or doesn't want to become a parent, that there's it's the point. It's just a great example That's of right. like what it means to be involved and how much it challenges every assumption you have. Like you can bear everything you think you know. And a kid will will challenge you, you know, yeah. just not in, like in beautiful ways and tough ways. It doesn't matter. So, um, I think that that provides so much more information that will cycle back into it's the why. First mm -hmm. of all, it's like that's why we're here. It's like how can we serve all beings, you know? Yep. And um, 
as much as the maps can help us do that, let's use them. And I think they're, they're going to be incredibly necessary. I've already advocated this in the show that like, I think it's going to be all about development, you know, soon uh, for politics, but we got to maintain that heart, you know, and absolutely. Yeah. Well, Cindy Wigglesworth, uh, who will be joining us tomorrow uh, for our post-election unpacking. She said something, I think that is just absolutely right on. She says, uh, meet people where they are. Yeah. Address the problems we face that others face small cumulative steps vision yeah. in small steps and i think that yeah. emphasis on small steps is huge huge because again a lot of us integralists we come into these conversations with some very big ideas and some very big opinions and we want yeah. to see big things happen we want to take big steps right and i think that oftentimes it's easy to sort of gloss over a lot of those complexities and a lot of those um you know you can't have any of this unless we learn the art of changing minds, right? Yeah. Or at least the art of finding a real solidarity and a real sense of unity along sort of the line of Yeah, well, values. that's the difference between theorists and you say, for example, clinicians, you know, there's always mm. going to be difference of like people being involved in the nitty gritty and people trying to make sense out of it. And when you try to make sense out of it in a general way, you're going to lose resolution, you know, and if you're in the thick of it always and never taking a step back, you lose the trees, right? This is the classic forest and trees thing here. Um, but uh, yep. in integral land, yeah, we talk big and we talk big. And frankly, this is the only space where I talk this big, as big as I talk here, because normally I'm like a little bit more leaning towards like, what, what, what can I practically do? You know what I mean? Because I feel like I have enough information. If we were to be really honest about it, having one book on Ken Wilber is like, enough that's like so much to make use out of that like i could spend forever years just utilizing and i have how many for how many years have we used quadrants you know when when is the quadrant model when am i going to exhaust that as a map like it's continued to be useful i can just every day just put the quadrants up on there say okay let me reference the quadrants real quick and let them inform me and then i'll get to work do it i don't have to spend that much time rolling around in the, in the theoretical version of the quadrants because they're so good <laughs> yeah, right yeah yeah well brother what do you think i think we're good yeah this is uh again just to circle back around i i hope that we're all able to find some space to breathe to release enough to bring bring more resources online for our lives you know personally in our communities and as a country as as a world community you know there's time to to take stock and also this happens around this time of year, November, December, in the United States winter. I know in other parts of the world it's going into summer. Um, but you know, time to take stock. And uh, so if we feel that, then I I wish you well to, mm -hmm. to bring some more energy online and find out what's most important to you right now and, and what can you dig into, you know. Uh, Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And I want to thank all you guys for watching. Um, yeah. Thanks for everybody showing up. Everyone who made comments. You yeah. Even, I don't think we saw eye to eye a whole lot during this episode, but I want to thank you uh, for challenging us. I mean, I usually actually prefer to talk to people who disagree with me than I get more out of it than I do talking to people who agree with me. Now, the funny thing is I kind of have a sense that if you're on the show with us, we probably have a lot more to agree on than sort of it appears on the surface here. Um, but I want to thank you for, for sort of, um, you know, your challenges. I want to thank everyone for your comments. Yeah. Uh, we're getting some nice comments in, in zoom from people who are saying yeah. this conversation was very Thanks, everyone. for them. So I, uh, that makes me feel really good. Um, also, I just want to say this is going to be, uh, the last episode of inhabit in this studio. 
That's right. I move into my new house in a week. Uh, so next time Ryan, you and I get on together for Yay. the Habit Show, it'll be it'll so be fun. Background. Um, so hopefully that all goes smoothly. Awesome. Thanks yeah. for everybody for being here. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. And Ryan, I love you, buddy. Love you too, buddy. Okay. Bye. Bye.